0: I want you to open to Psalms 106. Psalms 106. Our subject is one that's unusual, maybe a little perplexing to teach on Christian hatred in a sermon. It's not a common theme. I don't remember hearing very many sermons in my life about hate because hate just doesn't seem to be a part of anything Christian and hate as defined in the English Bible is malice and ill will and a desire for revenge and, and all of that obviously the newborn nature of a Christian has delivered us from all of that and that that's not anything we're allowed to do or that we should do sometimes we have to fight it you might have had a bad background bad experiences knew somebody that was really bad to you or something and as a christian you may have to overcome that and work on forgiveness because forgiveness is something that we have to do so we don't mean hate this morning in the sense of teaching you to go out and feel bad about other people and see who you can get even with and so forth but there is a really important place for hate in the christian's life because i don't know how you could ever experience the separation from the world unless you hate it if you learn to tolerate the world excuse yourself from all your weaknesses in the world and you don't hate the things that god hates then you'll remain that way we mentioned last week about separation remember in second corinthians 6 you don't have to turn to it you know this well come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing Do you remember that all of those things require from us a definition. What is an unclean thing? Who is them? Come out from among them. Who, who are we talking about? What is an unclean thing? Touch not the unclean thing. Don't, don't do this. Until the, what fellowship is light with darkness? What is darkness? See, one of the purposes of teaching is to make clear what God is saying. If we just mention the word, we don't explain it, we don't define it, we just mention it and go on, you're sort of left to yourself to make it mean whatever you want it to mean. So that, well, I don't have a problem with that, where another person says, well, that would be sin for me to do that. Well, that's no problem for me. And I think a lot of times the reason people don't like some dogmatic theological-type sermon is because it defines sin brings to your conscience what we call guilt. And guilt, you've got to deal with guilt because you deserve punishment. That's why we repent because of guilt. We are made aware of something wrong that's not right. And we're aware that we're guilty of doing that, and we must repent. But if we repent, it means we've got to turn away from it because we can't just say, I'm sorry, and then keep going back and doing it you got to forsake it. That's called separation from, because you're now aware, he that knoweth to do good, and you got to teach him to know it. And he that knoweth to do good and doeth it that not to him, it's sin. And God hates sin. Trust me with that one. God hates it because he's going to judge it. Eternal damnation was made because of sin. Sin's the easiest thing that we'll ever do in this life all you have to do is ignore God, do what you feel, and be your own man. But if you're going to forsake sin and turn away from sin, you're going to have to hate it because you've got to be made aware. Look what it did to you all those years before you came to the Lord, and I'm well aware of mine. Look at the way your personality was being warped. Look at the way you dealt with situations how you reacted and how you acted and all these confusing things in your life that that were just messing you up remember that yeah i do well you've got to forsake all of that you have to forsake situations like that you have to stay away from people like that you can't avoid working around them i'm not saying that we don't leave the world god left us in the world but we have to overcome that kind of stuff. But you've got to hate what that's doing. Look what it did to us. And if you don't have a holy hatred of the very thing that was about to judge you forever, so much so that you turn away from it and deny it access to your life, chances are you'll go back to it or you'll tolerate it in your life. And you'll say, well, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's no big deal. And it is a big deal. God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be clean. He said, we don't know what we're going to be like when Jesus comes, but we know that when he does come, we're going to be like him. The reason he's coming back, he said, those who are looking for him will see him when he comes. And they will be holy. We'll be clean without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. And you'll never be without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing without a decision on your part to stay away from all that stuff in your past that God was about to judge. You gotta hate it. I don't hate people. People are lost. They can't help it. This whole world is without a revelation of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but you do. And when God begins to open our eyes to see What Jesus wants, our loyalty is put on the line. Will you turn away from sin, and will you turn to God? Because if you will, you'll experience him. And if you won't, you'll find life, the Christian life, is just sort of a dull thing. Not much living water to it. It's sort of a dry thing. Don't get much out of it. It's just a socially proper thing that people do without being something that inspires divine life in you. But unless we are willing to forsake and deny ourselves all those things that used to destroy us, if we don't hate what draws us away from God, if we don't hate our weaknesses, if we're not disgusted with those times that we say, I can't believe I did that again. Man, why do I do that? You've got to hate that. Yes, God is tolerant of us. Yes, he loves us in spite of us. While we were sinners, he loved us. But now that we're his, he's got a program for us a program of life. It includes tribulation, suffering, difficulty, problems galore, plus prosperity, peace, and joy. It all goes together. You're being taught. The renewing of your mind is to show you the things that you've got to hold fast to and not let the devil take away from you and the things you've got to turn away from that used to make a fool of you. You've got to hate those things in your past. Now, turn to Psalm 106 at verse 34. Now, again, I'm bringing this back up from last week. We mentioned this because there's things here I want to reemphasize because I see a picture here. I do of the world that you're in and the world that we're living in, the way of the world, and as far as I'm concerned, the problem that's in the world. Verse 34. Now, talking about the Israelites, God brought them out of Egypt, brought them to the land of promise, which is politically incorrect to state that today, the promised land. He brought them to the land, sent them in, gave them all instructions one of the instructions God said, now that i brought you out of darkness, brought you out of Egypt, which is the type of the world, and now that you're brought to me, I'm going to give you an inheritance. Now, the land you're going into is a land that is rich and flows with milk and honey. The inhabitants there are an abomination to me. They worship death. They worship idols. They're very corrupt and evil people. And I'm giving you their land now here's how it works you got to go in and drive them out you can let none of them remain not even one of them now see we in this modern age of tolerance we have a problem with that of course this is Old Testament I told Bonnie the other day I like the New Testament better than I do the old the conditions anyway and so they went into there they went into that land well aware that they have to fight even though it's theirs and it's a gift and it's promised, they still have to fight. He said, every time you conquer, you get it. Every place the sole of your foot tread, you get that. But you have to fight. God said, I'll fight with you. We're not going to drive them out all at once, but I'm going to send the hornet and I'll cause hail to, and stuff to fall from heaven and I'll help you. But you got to drive them out. And you'll find the land is flowing with milk and honey. The grapes are big. The pomegranates are big. The groves and the vines and all. They knew how to farm. And I'm giving it to you. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Go in and enjoy it. But just do what I tell you. In verse 34, right away he said, They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them. Number one, the first mistake that people make is not obeying God. Now, somebody, some way, somehow, some system of teaching has given us an option of what is right and wrong. For example, well, we go into the land and, you know, these people, I don't know these people. they never done anything to me. Why would God want us to go in and kill people we don't even know? Or destroy them, run them off, get rid of all of them. Everyone, all of them. I don't feel good about that. Now, let me ask you a question. Who taught us to think like that in contrast to God? How much of what God gives us to do, a way to live, do we have a problem with? Now, somebody in our life or currently is teaching us how to have a problem with God. And it's evident to me in the Christian world, everywhere I look, I haven't been everywhere in the world. I've been in a lot of places. But as I note the current trends in America, a social gospel that keeps hanging around, liberal ideas about what we should be doing not what god said but what we think he meant by what he said and we kind of define it and make it to be the way we want it to be and suddenly god's word becomes an option well we ought to do that but if we don't you know he understands because he's a god of love he cares about us we don't have bad hearts we're not trying to be evil we're just not geared like that and everybody in the Christian world seemed such logical thinking seems all right. I mean, after all, you got a loving attitude about things in this world. There's no room for hate. I mean, it's about your past sins and the things that weakened you and made you the way you were. Hey, this new way of thinking, hey, nobody's perfect. You people think you can just go to church and dive into the word and do a, you think you can come out being like god nobody can do that well you know the bible does say be you therefore perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect yeah but that's not possible so we eliminate that we take that out of the bible oh it's in there but we won't deal with it and when then we begin to set aside everything that god demands god makes no suggestions these are demands he makes on our life and we're walking in this world. What will you do walking in this world in light of light? What will you do with it? Will you talk yourself out of it? Will you surround yourself with liberal thinkers who will tell you that it couldn't mean that because? Or we cannot do that because? Or we're not able because? Will you do that? Or will you sort of isolate your, or maybe separate yourself? From that kind of thinking and maybe stand alone and say well if that's what he said that's what i'm going to do and these people start persecuting you in the church it's going to happen while we're living in this world now when you start taking god at his word, you become dogmatic harsh you become narrow you're cutting people off and you by your stands are judging good people And you think you are better than everybody else. They say stuff like that, so you won't go that way. It's almost like we're afraid of what people will say. We sing the song, though none go with me. Still I will follow, but that hasn't always turned out to be true. But notice. Once you refrain from doing what God said to do or living that little narrow way he said to live, the next thing you do in verse 35 is you begin to mingle. You begin to mix. You begin to join in. You begin to integrate yourself in what I'll just call the world. It's not that bad. I mean, I still go to church. I still give. I still try. I still care. I still support. You know, these people aren't really all that bad, are they? These Hittites, Havites, Amorites, Canaanites, Isaacs, and Ticks. I'm not going to say I'm better than any of those people. Well, God never told you to say you were better than anybody. But we hope you're better than you used to be. But you're going to be around them. You're going to be amongst them. Even Jesus said, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I want you to leave them in the world. Because that's where the refiner's fire will find them in the world. This is how we'll separate sheep from goats and wheat from tares. By choices you'll make in that critical time in your life, we'll find out where your heart is. But they mingled. They begin to hang around these people a little bit. You know, they're not so bad. They have a lot of fun. Well, you know, I wouldn't do a couple of those things. That I wouldn't go where they, you know, I don't know about that. That little party they had the other night, that was kind of raw. I kind of turned my back while I was there, and I didn't watch everything that they did. And I kind of put my fingers around my ears, and they started talking kind of careless, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but I was there. I, you know, I'm not going to, you know, how can I win them to Christ if I'm not with them? Just keep talking because that's the way you're trained by somebody somewhere to think. Not think on these things, as the Bible said in Philippians 8, but we've learned to take what God said, kind of redo it, analyze it, dissect it, and put it in our own terms in this world and... Because we're sincere about this, God surely cares, and this will be acceptable. You know what? There is a way that seems right, isn't there? It's real quiet in here, but that's a good thing. There is a way that seems right to somebody. It seems right, and they do it. You know what the Bible said? It's a way of death because God is not in it. He doesn't bless it. It's not the way God wants us to live. So we said in verse 35, they mingled and they hung around the heathens. They tried to convince themselves they were all right and everything, but they learned their ways, it says in verse 35, and they learned their works. That is, they did what the heathens did. There's a verse in the Bible, actually twice, it says a little what? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You couldn't convince a liberal today that that's even close to being true because everything is redone in his own estimation and he can't see that that would be possible. A little leaven, I mean, we can't stay away from leaven. Everybody's got leaven in their life, a little but the Bible said when you open the door back to that junk you came out of, just a little bit of it. Just a little bit of it, a little leaven. Leavens a whole lump. Eventually it just creeps in. It keeps gaining a little more ground. You allow yourself a little more liberty. You go a little bit deeper the wrong way. And you keep convincing yourself, oh, I go to church, I give, I, I support, I sing, and I I do, you know, I'm still religious, I'm still okay. And you, nobody could ever tell you that you're wrong because you think you're right. You're sincere. I'm trying, you know, you're just trying to be Mr. Good. And so they learned their works and they learned to do what they did. And in that sense, they were corrupted and they became unclean. Now, verse 36 through 38. Well, he said, and they served... Their idols, whatever stadium it—I mean, excuse me—and excuse me—and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them, because it took place of God. Are you with me? Let me ask you a question: Why is it today that all the major sporting events are on Sunday? You know, the ones that everybody wants to watch. Occasionally, you'll hit a Saturday, but a lot of things, you know, a lot of the biggest events are on Sunday at noon. Now, I grew up in a time when that was not exactly the way you did it. It might have happened occasionally, but it didn't happen very often. I grew up when stores were closed on Sunday. Nobody shopped and went anywhere on Sunday because everything was shut down. Why? It was the Lord's Day. Even heathen recognized it. But not today. Because you see, things have changed. And things are changing. There's a new influence in the educational system of this country. It's creeping all around the world. Hollywood promotes it. Universities promote it. It's promoted in all kinds of social activities. The government promotes it. Politicians promote it. It's just a social thing. It's all about exalting a man to be his own man. Make up your own mind. Interpret it the way you want to. And be yourself, and surely God will honor you for that. As we argue over each other, we argue about self. We fight, we fuss. You don't agree with me? Well, who you think you? Who you think you are better? Well, you know, abortion. Well, who has the right to tell me what to do with my body? Everything becomes selfish. It's the last day. It's all about little gods with the little g. We make ourselves little beings that are in control. And as a result, all those. Things, those powerful things that God said begin to wane, except for a few. Except for a few. Remember, the Bible said, Many shall seek to enter in and will what? Not be able. They won't be able to enter in. They can't give up the very thing that is an enemy of their soul. They can't give it up. They keep convincing themselves it's not that bad. I'm not that bad. I know I'm not going to hell because I'm not bad enough to go to hell. I'm not that bad. Somebody taught me that. So in my own estimation of myself, I'm not that bad. Now, when you teach me what the Bible says, I get offended by that. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm, I'm a reader. I read the Bible. Well, you shouldn't have read that because I didn't like it. Well... Listen to it again, verse 36. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Kept them away from God. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the system of this world, to the devils and demons, things inspired of the devil. And they shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters. I'm not saying that's these people that blow themselves up, but I'm not saying it's not either. But it's far more than just that. It's suicide bomber,' it's far more than that. It sacrificed their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed into the idols of the world of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus Thus, verse 39, what does it say to these good, educated, liberal thinkers, what does it say about? It, it said, "They were defiled." You couldn't convince them they were defiled any more than today. If there is a Christian or a group of Christians that truly were defiled, you could not convince them of that. Let me tell you something that's kind of scary. Well, fearful. If God closes a man's eyes, remember Matthew 13, about the parables? He said, they have eyes to see and they can't see. They have ears to hear and they can't hear. They hear what you're saying, they can't connect. It doesn't compute. It's never personal. It's never against anything. I just don't get it. It's a terrible thing when God closes your eyes while they're open and closes your ears while they work. And you hear the truth and you can't conceive it. It doesn't work, it doesn't fit. It doesn't change anybody's life. It doesn't turn you away from sin. It doesn't deliver you from the wicked and evil elements of this world because you don't see it like that. You're seeing it your own way now. This is what he's talking about. Listen, let me go on. Verse 40. Thus, as a consequence of that, he said, therefore, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, in so much that he abhorred his own inheritance. Now, is that something God would do? Now, you have to agree with it because it said it right there in front of you. I don't know what translation you have. If you got a liberal translation, it might have said God was upset with his people. It says here that God would abhor his people. He told them time and again to quit doing what they're doing. He told them time after time, through the judges, up and down, they rise and fall. And he finally said, that's it. That's it. The Bible says God abhorred his inheritance. Does abhorred mean mad? Does he go deeper than just being mad? If you take the word hate as being something detestable or despicable, something you loathe, or you don't want to even be around. And Hate would be like that. Is it possible that the word abhorred fits somewhere to some degree in that definition? Then if it does, we better tighten up. Because God has a way for us to live. And he said this is the way walking in it. And we listen to so many people telling us it's not exactly so so many famous big-name book-writing preachers. I'm not against big names. I'm not against book-writing. I'm not against the TV boys or the radio. I'm just saying that a lot of them who get there in order to maintain that level of whatever, they have to cave into something. You have to give all those support. I'm talking about millions of dollars. They make more in one year than we make in two years. If you want to keep those kind of people around you, you got to give them what they want. I don't know how many times I've said in the last several years, I heard a man say it on a video teaching we saw once, but the two ills of man in the last days are comfort and happiness. This spirit in the pulpit that says, make them happy and make them comfortable. Don't say things that agitate and stir them up. Don't give them the truth because truth will wear them out. Make them comfortable. Make them glad they came. Make them feel good about themselves. Like the biggest preacher, don't talk about sin. Just tell them, that you know, just do your best, try your best, and do what you can. God loves you anyway. And so you remain with that girl, remain with that boy. You keep drinking, keep running around, keep lying, cheating, and stealing on the job. You know, God loves you anyway, doesn't he? You're all right. You're going to heaven. What do you think is going to happen to a whole bunch of people in the last days when one day they realize, you know what? We're wrong. We're not right. He says the wrath of God in verse 40. The wrath of God. No more favor. The wrath of God was kindled against his people in so much that he abhorred his own inheritance. Let me show you something about the word abhorred. Put your finger here. We'll come back. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. One place in the Bible that instructs you on how to keep a curse out of your house how to keep curses and things that God will judge out of your house. Notice, well, things like Ouija boards, zodiacs, signs, plates, totem pole, anything that has to do with another deity or a god or some kind of a god, anything that has to do with the literature from the symbols, the signs, the literature, the instructions, All of that stuff, which is of the devil, designed to turn you away from God or to allow this in your life and tolerate it. It's not that bad. So he said, verse 25, he said, The graven images of their gods, this is the gods of the Canaanites that they mingled with and adapted. The graven images of their gods you shall burn with fire. Thou shall not desire the silver or the gold that is on them. Nor take it into yourself, lest what? Lest you be snared therein. For it is an abomination unto God. Does your Bible say something like that? So, what is an abomination to God? Anything that represents any other God or has to do with another God, any sort of God, any transcendental meditation. Eastern religions, I mean, there's so many of them, you can't name them. And I'm afraid to say that in in America, there's major religions that are involved heavily in the occult and their practices. These are things you have to turn away from. Your Bible says it. You have to not take it into you, God, to separate yourself from it, lest you be snared therein, for it is an abomination to God. Verse 26, Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into your house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But you shall utterly detest it. Would that be despise? Would that mean hate? In a good sense, isn't it? You shall... Utterly hate that stuff. So much so that you rid your house of it. You will not tolerate it in your life or your children's life in your home. Don't bring that beach towel in this house that's got a zodiac on it. That your cousin in Florida paid fifty dollars for. Get it out of here. Oh, but it's fifty bucks. I don't. He said, desire not the silver or the gold or the fifty-dollar bill. I'm just telling you what he says. He says, you got to get rid of all that stuff. You got to get it out of your house. Because he ended by saying, lest you be a cursed thing like it, you shall utterly detest it. You shall utterly abhor it. There's that word abhor. You shall utterly abhor it for it is a cursed thing. Let me ask you a question. Should we hate anything that is a curse? should we turn our backs on and deal with and fight against anything that's a curse but we cannot do that unless we know that it is a curse and if somebody talks you out of something being a curse it's just a little statue it's just a cute little overweight fellow from china they call him buddha a little belly but you know what's wrong with that He's, oh there's a demon in there <laughs> yeah goes with it. it's a package deal You're coming up on a so called holiday. It's a horror day in this month, Halloween. It's all about the devil. And churches, because people want it in the congregations, it's made to be a harmless little something for the kiddies. You know, the nightmares, we, you know, they should have a few nightmares because of the horror house. They're going to go through and scream, and they should bob for apples. I did that once when I was a kid. Makes as much sense as bobbing for french fries to me. (laughs) The world will train everybody that loves it to be like it. And the world will train you, whoever they are, to have an adverse view of God's word to where it's no longer your desire. And there's so few people that way, the people that are, are a minority today. And you turn away from all of that, you're with the biggest crowd. You go to Halloween, you know, you got witches running through the house. Now, there are witches in this world. I thought of one the other day. I said, what would I say to her if she did this or say that? I said, I'd go get you a new broom. Well, see, that's an ugly thing to say. I repent this morning, Lord, because there are people who want to control people. There are people who like to control, intimidate if they can, or use emotions. Women do it, men do it. Control. And there's a spirit that goes with all of that. You know, it takes almost a lifetime of teaching to cover all the things That we need to be taught. And if every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, all we teach on is how to be saved and give you 20 minutes of what you already know, you never grow. You don't learn much. Because your chances of going home and reading about it and studying it yourself are not good. Typically, Christians don't do that. But how could we ever hate, abhor, detest, or separate ourselves from something that we're not clear is all that wrong? And yet when it becomes clear that it is wrong like this here, don't bring this stuff in your house. Graven images and so forth or instructions about it, don't bring that in your house. It's a snare. Things will start happening in your home. You might find yourself falling asleep during church all the time. You never did that before until you brought that thing in your house. It's a spirit. Children get beside themselves nightmares, bedwetting, sleepwalking. How many kinds of things, uh, ways, as you open the door to a devil, that when he does come in, how many different ways does he manifest himself? Many. Anything that's abnormal to me is of the devil, and I fight it because I don't have to have it. But go back to Psalm 106. And while you're back there, go to Psalms 5. Keep your finger in 106 and look just at Psalms number 5 and verse 6. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing against the Lord and abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Psalms 5. Let's, let's pick it up at verse 4. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, Neither shall evil dwell with thee. God's not tolerant of that stuff. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Does your Bible say that? Does it really say that? It's a troubling thought in a Christian atmosphere that such a thing could be so. But here's the deal if it's not so, then the very thing that we ought to hate, detest, despise, abhor, turn away from and fight against is the very thing that in the end will snare us. You either fight because you've got to win and I refuse to lose and I will not allow this or that. Either you do that or you just go with the flow. As they say, that sounds so good. But he said the foolish won't stand in his sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Let me read it from another translation. Listen to this. You shall destroy those who speak lies. That's leasing. You shall destroy those who speak lies. The Lord will despise the bloody and deceitful man. Let me ask you a question. Shouldn't we also? Should we not hate what he hates? Should we not despise what he despises? Oh, listen, listen. Oh God, open my eyes, open our eyes to see what you're saying, to see with our eyes and compute what you're saying to us. And then like you told Joshua, now I'm understanding that better. You gotta have courage, Joshua. We're drawing a fine line here. These people are not allowed to cross it. You aren't either. They don't want to follow you. They're going to fight you and disagree with you And yeah, yeah, because there's a bunch of yackers in the kingdom. But you hold your ground and you have courage. You be very courageous. You read the Word. You meditate on the Word. You ponder the Word. You do what the Word says and let God take care of all of those that are against you. Not many will do that because we don't like to have opposition. We don't like to be spoken against. We don't like to be criticized. If you want to avoid criticism in your life, be a preacher. <laughs> you can avoid all that stuff. And if you don't want to be a preacher, be whatever God wants you to be. But back to Psalms 106 again, verse 40. Therefore, the wrath of God was against them. And this is what follows. When the wrath of God is laying there on you, you're unwilling to do it his way. He's unwilling to show you favor. Here's what happens, verse 41 and 42. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen and they that hated them ruled over them. Isn't that amazing? They finally conquered you. In verse 42, their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hands. Think of how much better it would have been if we'd stayed out of debt, all of us, and hadn't had those people come on you like a horde of hornets. Wouldn't it have been a little better back then? When you were in debt, remember, wouldn't it have been better if you were out of debt? But what did you do when somebody said, oh, no, man, anything? I got the notes. I filed them. I still got them. The little notes that people write and send. It's full of liberal trends. I can't see why you would say that. And I don't know who it was. But I want to say, I don't care if it hair the whole world. This is still true. And the worst thing that happened to me getting fired. They'd fire me, I'm out of here. We're going to dock your pay, then dock it. Because the truth is still the truth. Right is still right. And what fellowship should light have with darkness? What fellowship should God have with the devil? You've got to turn away from all that stuff. You've got to hate that stuff in your life that you keep going back to, that stuff that keeps dominating and controlling you. Hate, not in the sense of, you know, being ugly people. we got enough of that in the church. But hate in the Christian sense that I'm really against everything that I now recognize God has opened my eyes. I see how weak I really am. I'm with that songwriter that says, I need you every day, I need you. I'm with you. I understand that now. I understand my weaknesses and my flaws. I understand I can't do anything without you, but when I have you on my side, I'm strong. Lord, just keep me in the very heartbeat of your life. Just keep me there. Give me the courage. We should all say that. Give me the courage to live this way. I don't care who I'm around or what they are. I don't have to preach to everybody I'm around. Jesus didn't. Didn't he teach us one time to not cast your your pearl before swine? Didn't he say that? What do swine do? They take what you said and they rend you with it. They mock you and make fun of you. Don't preach to them. Leave them alone. He did. He didn't go around trying to see how many Pharisees he could win in Christ. He told his disciples, leave them alone. They've crossed the line, most of them. One of them didn't in John 3. We see it our way. The idea that we're going to be biblical in our life or see things the way God says and have the whole world question us it just doesn't fit good, so we want to give ourselves some liberty. This is what liberalism is all about, whether political or Christian. Liberalism draws no line. If you do draw it, it's about three miles wide. <coughs> the Bible calls it a broadway. There's no really right or there's no really wrong. It's all kind of gray and iffy. And, you know, because God is love, you know, and, and nobody's going to miss it. I mean, and so a man does that which is right in his own sight. And when you draw a line, boy, they want to get it out of the schools. They want it out of public buildings. They don't want you talking about it anywhere. (sighs) This world's nuts. I heard they kicked a little girl out of school or cut her off for three days from school because she had a crayon and went to another little girl, like bang. Like a 50-caliber cannon or a machine gun or 20-caliber cannon, and they shot somebody. Can you imagine going to somebody going Pow! and they kick you out of school for that? This world is not only living in fear, but it's living in doubt and unbelief and darkness. And if we don't get our eyes open, they'll control us. The time's coming, they're going to persecute you. We don't know what it's like yet. The day's coming. You'll be singled out because you're one of them. If you're not careful, you do what Peter did, follow Jesus afar off. We don't want to get up close anymore. See what's going to happen at his end. No, sir, there's got to be something in us that is willing to deny ourself, take up the cross, and follow him. And if you don't hate everything that says you don't have to do that, if you don't deny that, abhor that, detest that, and despise that kind of an influence, eventually it'll get in your life. And you'll find yourself unhappy, moping around in your Christian life. You're not really fulfilled. There's not much joy in your life. Let me tell you one of the things that we ought to hate. I mentioned this last week. I want you to turn to uh, to Psalms 119. Here's something you need to hate along those lines. This is a good hate here. A good hate. What is a good hate? Well, let's read it. Psalms 119 and verse 13. I hate vain thoughts. What's a vain thought? Let's identify. Well, it's like if I won the lottery, here's what I would do. No, that would be vain because your chances of winning are one in 700 billion. What are vain thoughts? I think I mentioned this last week. It's worth repeating again. The Hebrew word for vain thoughts is the word divided. I mean, that's the definition of vain thoughts. It means one who is divided. I'm going to draw a picture on the board of a uh, <laughs> my kind of man. And in this upper compartment of a man's head is his brain, the organ of mental perception. That sounds collegey. The location of man's will, his choices, where he reasons, obviously thinks and reasons, figures things out where he allows different kinds of thoughts to come in, things that are logical. Yeah, that makes sense. When he goes to church, he sees a different side to that, that that's not good to have that kind of, uh, well, you know, God said this is the way to do it, but here's what he said about vain thinking and being divided. Is it possible to have a divided brain? There are two lobes, one side that goes one way, And you got another side that goes another way. Is that possible? Didn't the psalmist say, Why art thou disquieted within me? Who was he talking to? Himself. He said, Hey, hope in God. Because there's something in me that is fearful, uncertain, kind of worried about. And then there's something else. When God says it, well, yeah, I mean, he's bigger than life, isn't he? Cast your care over on the Lord. He said to do that and take no thought. (laughs) That's what he said to do. You mean to tell me, yeah, that's what God said. God said that. And the devil said that. psalmist says, I hate this. Now, what is there to despise about that? At least that's the way I study. What is there so despicable about that? Well, Strong's Concordance defines a word as a skeptic. Now, what is a skeptic? Well, a skeptic is one who doubts. He breeds doubt. He goes about doubting. He's always telling us what won't work and how he's not sure. He's just skeptical. I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. He thinks like that. But if there's a part of him that, that he can never escape, God will make us all know at some point in our life, God will cause us all to know what's right. Because you have a will, you can choose to reject it, but you will know. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Nobody can say, well, I didn't know about Yes, you did. You just didn't want it. And the only reason you and I want another sermon is because God opened our eyes to see it. And I'm grateful for that, of course. The word means to be double-minded, to engage in what we call double-think, a process of thinking which is not only illogical but produces perverse and wrong decisions put your finger wherever you are, and go to James, the book of James. Let me show you how this works in the New Testament. Any kind of thinking that we have that distorts the truth is perverse. Any kind of thinking, any kind of entertaining thinking that causes me to see it differently than what God says is perverse. Now the thoughts will come. I don't mean the temptation don't come, but the entertaining I and mean, yeah, okay, is perverse. It is to be hated and despised. James chapter one. Remember he said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Verse five. Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Now that's what he does. You can't change that. While some say, well, you know, he could. You know, God has, but you can't say that he will just because you read that. Don't they say that? But that's not what God said. He said he gives liberally, and he doesn't upbraid you for asking. Then go on to say that he said a double-minded man, verse 8, a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all of his ways. Why? Because he can't make up his mind and get it right. He hears what the devil says. It makes sense. It's worldly acceptable. Everything he has ever known and been trained in this world agrees with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, yeah. And then God comes along with stuff that's new. We never paid any attention to it. Now we are, and we're going, what? 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 How can that be? Why? Well, that doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. A natural mind doesn't gather into itself the things of the Spirit. Now that the Spirit is in you, you're going to be retrained. And in spite of your mental opposition to, oh, oh God, oh yeah, well, what if you do this and it doesn't work? What if you do this and they leave? What if you do this and you die? What if you do this and it becomes chronic? What are you going to do? Huh? What are you going to do if you preach that and the church leaves? What are you going to do then? And God says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your steps into tribulation, hardship, persecution. You'll experience all that, but that'll be a test of your loyalty. Chapter 4, James chapter 4, and verse 8 Now, while you're there in chapter 4, would you sneak back to chapter 1 for just a minute? Real careful. Go back to chapter 1. And I don't want to trouble you any more than we already have. But would you look at verse 7? I I left it out. But before I read chapter 4, would you look at verse 7 of chapter 1? What does he say about doubters? Would you say that doubt and uncertainty, along with illogical, perverse thinking, is of the devil? You would then agree that the devil is the one who keeps us in darkness when we're in darkness. And God is the one who gives us light when we have light. Okay. James chapter 1 verse 7 he said let not that man think that he shall receive what well, What about all them things you think you're going to get and you're okay and everything's all right and I'm da- What about all that kind of thinking when it's not right? What about that? sounds to me like you're a double-minded man if it's i'm not talking to you of course unless you're here but a double-minded man allows himself to think that way it's easier to kick out what god says than it is to kick out what the world says and yet when you're born again god puts an x over here you have to renew all this that is not tolerable anymore a man's mind must be renewed to think like god he has a mind of christ he's got to let it come and so he said in chapter 4, in verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Who? Is he relating sinfulness with double-mindedness? Well, look at it again. You don't have to hesitate very long. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, because sinners are like that. We were like that. Those tendencies still hang around. We got to get rid of them. But he says, when we do those things, when we allow that in our life, we're double-minded. Now go back to the Psalms, where I told you a while ago, go, Psalm 119, verse 113. He said, I hate the double-minded. I hate the vain thoughts. Listen to what the psalmist said. While you're there in Psalm 119, let me read another verse in Psalm. Let me just read it for you. It's the Psalm 101, verse 3. I hate the work of them that turn aside. That's double-minded, or that's our word for vain thoughts. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Think of it. Is the psalmist saying, I hate what people do that makes them depart from the truth? I hate the things that people allow in their lives that turn them away from the way of God. They're good church members, but they don't want it God's way. It goes on. Let me read another one. See the word to those that turn aside, that word literally means to fall back. I hate those that fall back. We shouldn't fall back. I hate those that turn away. Vain thoughts. The kind of thinking that leads to this. All we need to deal with that Go back to Psalm 119 in verse 104. He said, I hate every false way. He said in verse 163, I hate and abhor that and lying. The Bible is full of things that we ought to despise because every one of these things that God wants us to hate are things that God will judge. Sin will not dwell in the kingdom of heaven. He will show us the right way, he will deal with us. We have to make a decision to turn away from all of those things. Falsehood, error, misleading information, things that warp our thinking, things that cause us to doubt God, things that cause us to go a different direction things that tell us we don't have to press in and hold the plow and go the second mile and turn the cheek. We don't have to do that. The Sermon on the Mount is not for this age. It's for another age, they say, because it's too hard to live. And yet it's not too hard to live. It's just that man doesn't want to pay that price. He doesn't want that kind of persecution from his family or his friends. He wants a nice little social relationship with God where everything is all right and He's going to heaven. And yet, the more I read this, the more we talk about this to each other, the more I realize that the way to heaven is not a way that everybody wants. Not everybody wants to live this way. I have to check myself. Am I telling you the truth? Because I'm telling you, don't believe it because I've said it this morning. You can just say, well, that's your opinion. That's your freedom. But if it's true, then it's not my opinion. It's the word of God. I depend, I pray before I came out here, before I emerged from my little salt mine back there, before I came out here, that God would give us hearing ears and cause us to have a measure of conviction about his word, not mine. Just pray the Lord to anoint our hearts and our minds. Open our eyes to see what, We've been allowing all this trash in our life, all this ignorant, or the word stupid is a bad word to to seen, but just all this stuff we allow. And we think we're cool, we think we're funny, we think we're all right, and we can be so offensive to God. But I pray that God will open our hearts and eyes and realize that in the end, we have to learn to hate evil. Anything opposed to God Anything that God is opposed to, we have to hate it. I'll close with this. Last week I said in Proverbs 8 and verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If you can't define for yourself what's evil, then you won't know what to hate. And I would tell you this, that's a choice you'll have to make. But anything, anything that's opposed to God... Anything that opposes God. Anything that God is opposed to that he says no, and everything that is opposed to his way, whatever system of doctrine, doctrines of demons, it says in the last day, whatever it is, you hate it because it is evil. We have a hard time saying evil, but it's the truth, it is evil. That's the way we're supposed to see it. Psalm 97 said, you that love the Lord, hate evil. Hate it. Grab yourself by the back of your collar. Yank yourself in the spanking quarters of your house or your spanking room. Or take yourself to your man room. Get your belt out and whip yourself for allowing yourself to get by with so much trash in your life. For giving way to so much of the devil and thinking it's fun. Come on, give yourself a good whipping, amen? Or at least get on your knees and ask God to forgive you and give you courage, amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your word to your people. Nobody needs it more than we do. We need it beyond our understanding. I ask you to minister to everybody that's in this room this morning, everybody that's watching this live streaming, for those that listen to this message. I just ask you to open our eyes to see what you're saying. And then by your grace, give us the courage to do it. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.